Before we move on any further, I've asked Steve Ruggiero to come, and he's going to challenge our men about a men's event that's coming up. So give Steve a warm welcome as he comes. Thanks. Hello, everyone. Many of you know that um, Sherwood Baptist, the producers of Fireproof, released a movie last week called Courageous. And it opened in the top four movies in the country. So it's obvious that God is stirring the hearts of men. So with that being said, Gathering of Men and Man in the Mirror Ministries want to capture the momentum of this movie and invite men, single, married, with, or without children, to the Dads That Make a Difference seminar at Liberty Baptist on November 11th and 12th. Two hours on a Friday night, four hours on a Saturday morning. The cost, $30 a person. It's the cost of a round of golf or a half a tank of gas, neither of which hold eternal value, though some would argue that golf does hold eternal value. <laughs> Look, see this in my hand? This is a baton. And Paul speaks of runners running a race. And when a runner runs as fast and as hard as he can, his leg of the race is over. He hands it off to the next runner. As fathers, we do the same thing. But we hand our baton off to our children. And our, our batons, they're symbols of our legacy. It's our character, our values, the way we speak to our wife, our involvement at church, and most importantly, our love for Jesus Christ. This is my son. And I want to hand him a baton that he can be proud of. Now, I have no doubt that the men of City Life are willing to die for their families. This seminar... We'll show you how to live for him. Make a decision tonight to be a dad that makes a difference. Come see me right after church. Thank you. Come on, that's good. Come on, you can applaud for that. Let's pray into it. Father, we just pray for this seminar that's coming up. Father, not because there's a meeting that's going to take place, but because of the impartation that we know that's going to happen. That we know that all of us, as Steve symbolically did with his son, Aaron, oh God, that we're all going to do that. We're going to pass a baton, and we want to run our leg of the race well to set them up for eternal success. Father, for generations, for generations, in Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen. amen, amen. Well, we're excited tonight for lots of reasons, obviously, because, come on, a lot of great things have happened already, but more is going to come. And uh, we have been, you know, as a church looking for, you know, what's going to be our connection as a church. We're an independent, non-denominational church, but we know that we can't just be out here doing our own thing. And uh, so every church needs to have a place of connection. Every church needs to have a fellowship, something that they belong to that's bigger than themselves. And we've kind of explored different groups throughout our six years. And so uh, we've really been praying over these last several months. And one of the groups that we're really praying about now is a group called Elam Fellowship. And so we invited... Uh, Pastor Mike Cavanaugh from Lima, New York. He's the vice president of Elam Fellowship to come down and spend the weekend with us. Vanessa and I uh, got to spend the evening with him last night, and, and Pastor Justin and I spent the day with him today. And so we asked him to come and, and, uh, and just teach us tonight to, to impart something of his life uh, to us. And then he's going to be with us in Williamsburg tomorrow. And uh, so speaking of Williamsburg, before I hand this baton over to Pastor Mike. I just want to say hi to Pastor Jack and Brenda Joyner. Come on, can you give them some love tonight? You know, they, they are the pastors of what was formerly Grace Fellowship that has now become, you know, the City Life Church Williamsburg, and they're retiring and uh, going to be moving to Florida next week. 
And, uh, and so we know symbolically what Steve and his son just did for us. This is happening between churches tomorrow morning. There's a baton that's going to pass from, from them to us. And uh, we hope that you come. We hope that you, you know, we know that you're a Saturday night church person. And getting up on Sunday morning is hard to do. But we're trusting that you're going to join us there. Directions are on our website. The service is from 10 to 1130. And uh, it's going to be a, a great time together. And so can you give Pastor Mike Cavanaugh so a warm city life welcome as he comes. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's great to uh, be here, be with you. Um, as uh, was mentioned, I'm, I, I, was, I haven't always been uh, the vice president of uh, Elam Fellowship. I was the pastor of a church in upstate New York, a very little town. Uh, as a matter of fact, we had one traffic light in our town. For entertainment, you'd go down on a summer night and sit and watch it change. That was uh, that's the in uh, upstate New York, and and uh, but but even in that environment, we saw a tremendous hap thing happen in our church. And the church grew to a thousand people, and tremendous things happened. It was people would come and visit, and they would they would come to our church, and it was like you know they would be like, wow, it's like the miracle in the cornfield, and uh, it was just an amazing thing that God did. And he breathed on us, but. Uh, a couple of years ago, I uh, felt the Lord dealing with me, and we turned the church over to a, a young man who we raised up in the church, powerful young man, 27 years old, and uh, the church is going on, fantastic. I still have a fatherly relationship there uh, with them, and I began to travel, and the, the message of Elam Fellowship is very simple. It's to strengthen the leader to equip the church to reach the world. And our heart is to strengthen leaders to equip the church to reach the world. Um, I'm uh, m married for 34 years. My wife, uh, Terry, is, uh, the, uh, still works at the church that I used to be a part of. She was a, she's a graphic artist. I have three children. My oldest son, uh, Toby, he's 30 years old. And uh, when he graduated college, he started a ministry called Campus Target. And Campus Target takes young adults and brings them to China for a year to do ministry on university campuses in China. And uh, there are over 60 young adults working with him right now uh, uh, doing that. And then I have a number two son. I'll talk to you about him in a moment. And then, and then my uh, uh, daughter, Tracy, uh, she's 23 years old. She, she uh, fin just finished up a term, a missions term in, uh, in Mexico and is now kind of the Christy Rogers of our church up there, you know, so... Uh, she's, doing, uh, she's doing a great job there. But uh, my number two son, Todd, he came to me uh, when he was in high school, and he said to me, Dad, you know, with all the people in our family kind of being focused on ministry, he said, I think we need somebody who makes some money. <laughs> and he said, so, he said, I would like to be the rich son. And I said, well, Todd, I said, I, I could see that. I could see you doing that. That's, you know, that, that's okay. And he said, Dad, when I make my first million, I'm buying you a convertible. And I thought to myself, this is good. Right? Because, you know, you have these kids, and it's give, give, give. And I thought, you know, it's, you know, it's time for things to start flowing the other direction. And uh, so sure enough, he finished high school. He went to Elam Bible Institute for a year to get a good biblical foundation. And then he went to Brockport State College and got a bachelor's degree in business. And then Rochester Institute of Technology and got an MBA in finance. And uh, he was on his way to go uh, into uh, to, uh, finance, basically, and do that. Well, right at that time, 30 years ago, 
Be careful when you start something. Because 30 years ago, I started a ministry called BASIC. stands for Brothers and Sisters in Christ. And BASIC reaches out, uh, helps local churches reach out to the university campuses that are nearby them. And uh, the, I, I was no longer involved with that ministry that started, run for all these years. But um, all at once, I get a telephone call. And the guy who had been the director of that ministry wanted to go to move to uh, Harvard University, Cambridge, the city of Cambridge, and plant a church there to reach out to Harvard. And so he said, look, he said, the, the director's role is coming open. Do you think Todd would consider taking this position? And I said to him, no, that's not going to happen. I said, because Todd is going to be rich. And I and I happen to know that the path to riches does not lead through basic. You know what I mean? That's not where you, because I, you know, I started it. So I know you're, nobody's going to get rich there. And, uh, and, and, but they ignored me and they contacted Todd and they asked Todd, would he consider doing it? Todd said, no, I don't think so. You know, I've been working at this to get ready for this moment. My, and he hung up the phone and Todd said that began three weeks of no sleep. And at the end of three weeks, he called him up and he said, if the position is still open, I'd like to be considered. So now Todd is the director of the basic campus ministries, travels all over, got a full-time staff of 10 that uh, just works on university campuses and helps them you know, all over the place. And, and my convertible is gone with the wind. <laughs> you know, it's just gone. And it's worse than that because he has to raise his own support. It's a missionary thing. And you know, when, they, when your kids have to raise their own support, you know who the first person they come to is? They come to their parents and say, Dad, would you like to get involved? So not only am I, am I not getting a convertible, I'm still making the payment. You know what I mean? Even though I don't get the convertible. So it was, it was uh, kind of a challenging thing. T today, I want to talk to you about the concept of radical unity. Radical unity. Now, when we talk about unity, uh, it's easy for us to get confused with two different concepts. Um, the idea of unity with the idea of uniformity. I should mention, when you came in today, you should have received in your bulletin packet one of these yellow uh, sheets right here. If you didn't get one of these and you'd like one, it really will help you to follow along with me. Um, just lift your hand up. Would you lift your hand up and you can get one of these? Just lift your hand up. The ushers are all ready to help you. So, unity and uniformity. Unity is when we have differences working together for the common good. Or another way of saying it, we have unity when we have differently gifted people working together for the common good. Uniformity is when everything is the same, okay? When you have unity, you have life. For example, my body is an example of unity. We have different systems. We have like, you know, the digestive system and the, you know, respiratory system and the circulatory system. Each of them has their own function, but when they work together in cooperation, life is there. Someday I will experience uniformity. And uniformity is when everything is the same. And uh, when I die, that's what happens, right? When you die, you, be, you turn to dust. You become uniform. That's what it is. Unity, see, is, is where life exists. Uniformity is where death exists. 
uh, differently gifted people working together for the common good. Now, my flesh loves uniformity. That is, my earthly nature loves uniformity. I love it when everybody thinks like I do, has the same perspective that I do, and approaches life the same way that I do. Don't you like that? See, my flesh loves uniformity. My flesh hates unity. Because to have unity, anybody who's gotten married knows what this is all about. You have to see it the other person's way, right? You have to give up. Right? You, you, have to, you have to defer to the other person. So my flesh does not like unity. My flesh likes uniformity. Let's have everything be the same. Everybody approach life same, have the same attitude, have the same perspective, uh, do things in the same way. But Paul tells us in the scriptures that the church has to be a place of radical unity. And I want you to look with me uh, uh, together at that. And we're going to look here. Uh, in your notes, it says this. Remember, unity is differently gifted people working together for the common good. But uh, number one in your notes, it says this. To experience unity, we must believe that our differences are for our good. Okay, let's look at what Paul says. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given, come on now, look at this verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You see, he's saying here, look, he says, in the church there are all kinds of varieties. There are varieties of gifts, there are varieties of ministries, there are varieties of effects. He's saying there, there's all kinds of difference that goes on there. He says, but each of these differences has been given for the common good. You have been given, your giftings, the, the differences have been given for the common good, for the benefit of everybody that is involved. Now, um, this is not the way our minds think. When we meet somebody who is different than us, we think they're different for a reason like their mother dropped them when they were little. <laughs> or sometimes we think they're different because they're sinners. You know, the reason they're, because if they were holy, they would be like me, okay? And so there's like this suspicion. It's the same kind of thing you see in, in courtship and marriage. Now, of course, in courtship, people don't see any differences, right? When people are courting, it's like, oh, he does that differently, but I love that. Oh it's, oh, it's fascinating to me the way she thinks about this or thinks about that. Oh, this is just... And so they look at the differences and they seem fascinating and interesting and exciting. And then they get married. <laughs> and those things which seem so fascinating in their courtship are downright annoying once they get married, Right? And, and, and now they're like, you know, it, it's like, she, you know, as a pastor, they'll come in and they would sit down and talk to me. They'd say, Pastor, I don't understand. She's against every idea that I have. 
I bring something up and she lists out six reasons why it won't work, you know. She is like a wet blanket on my life. I, you know, I don't know what to do. And, 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 and there was all kinds of struggling that would go on. Now, if they hang in there, another stage happens. They move through this annoyance and they come to a place of appreciation. And what happens now is you'll start to hear him say things like this. Honey, I'm glad you like to do the bills because I hate doing the bills. You know what I mean? That's so good you, you, you like to work on that kind of stuff. And, or, or, or maybe he says, honey, I'm so glad when I go to the church supper and we're sitting down at the table, I never know what to say. But you always know what to say, honey. You always know what to say. And you're just able to talk with anybody. I think that's so great. And, and, and so it starts out, they're blind to the differences. Then they're annoyed with the differences. Then they come to a place of appreciation and thankfulness for the differences. Well, the same thing happens in the church. We have differences that are there. But what God wants us to do is to move past the annoyance of the fact that we're different to a place that we can really experience appreciation for one another and unity. Now, I've discovered, after many, many years of being in the church and preaching, I didn't, get, I didn't grow up in the church, I got saved as a 17-year-old, but, but since that time I've been dedicated in the church, went to Bible school, been you know, ministering for years and years and years. And in that, that time period, I've had a chance to study the scripture, but study people and church and things. And I basically have identified four different characteristics of people in the church. Basically, there are four different kinds of people. And if you look at even the spiritual gifts, you'll see that the different gifts and ministries fall actually into these four different characteristics. And we're going to talk about those in your notes right now if you, if you look there. We have four different kinds of people. Let me go over them. Four major differences in the body. And uh, see if you might recognize yourself. Okay, the first kind of person, and when I, this isn't, the order is not, you know, one is better than the other. It's just I just listed them. The first kind of person we have in the body are the prayers. The prayers. The prayers view everything as spiritual. Their favorite verse is, they who seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. What you need to do is to seek the Lord. They are the mountaintop believers. What you need to do is to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. If you touch the hem of Jesus' garment, every need will be met. If you go to a prayer with a problem, they look at you and say, have you prayed about it? Right? And they just feel prayer is the answer. Touching Jesus is the answer. Every problem gets solved that way. The second group of people we have in the church, and this is because of the different giftings that have been given, are the relators. Now, the relators view everything as relational. They are the lovers in the body of Christ. Uh, their favorite verse is, by this shall all men know you are my disciples if you have what? Love one for another. What we need in this church is more love. If we just had more love in the church, we don't need job descriptions. We don't need organizational charts. We need love. Love will make it all work together, make everything flow and get love. That's what we need in the church is love. The third group of people we find in the church 
are the analyzers. The analyzers view everything as needing to be thought out. They are the thinkers in the body of Christ. Their favorite verse is everything must be done decently and in order. Right? They, they want, you know, they want to reason, they want to understand, they want a rationale, they want the whole thing laid out in a, you know, in a, in a way that they, they can see there, the analyzers. And then the fourth kind of people that we find in the church are the doers. The doers believe action solves problems. They, they, they are people of action. Their favorite verse is Daniel 11.32. Those who know the Lord will display strength and take action. We need to take action. you got to do something. Every once in a while you got to do, you know, let's stop talking, let's stop praying about it, let's do something. Come on, we got to do something together. So you have these four different kinds of people in the church. And I would like to say that when they look at each other, they look with respect. But normally when they look at each other, they look with a little suspicion. They can't understand why the other person sees things the way they see them. As a matter of fact, to help you get a little grip on this, I went through and talked about the different ways they relate to each other. For example, the prayer. And this is in your notes. The prayer thinks the relator is a man pleaser. See, when the, when the prayer looks at the relator, they think, you know... They just care about what people think. Don't they know it's not what people think? It's what the Lord thinks. Right? You know, we, need to, we just need to, you know, maybe everybody's not happy. It's okay as long as the Lord is happy. That's what we want, okay? So the prayer looks at the relator and thinks they're a man pleaser. The prayer thinks the analyzer is trying to put God in a box. See, the prayer looks at the analyzer and says, listen, you can't figure God out. If you could figure God out, you would be God. We don't need to figure God out. We just need to go with the anointing, go with the flow of the Spirit. See? And then the third kind of person, or the third one here, we have the prayer thinks the doer is trusting in the arm of flesh. When the prayer looks at the doer, they say, don't you know it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my Spirit, says the Lord. You just work, work, work. Working is not going to get it done. We just need to trust in the Lord. Okay? Now, the relator. The relator thinks the prayer is aloof. Because when the relator looks at the prayer, it's like the relator wants to, like, get close and, you know, share secrets and open up and all this kind of stuff. And the prayer is, like, in their prayer closet, you know? And the relator is like, come out of the closet. Come talk to me. So the, the, so, the, so the relator thinks the prayer is aloof. And the relator thinks the analyzer is trying to control him. See, the relator looks at the analyzer and says, what, you know, we don't need a job description. We just need love. Don't be trying to come up with all kinds of organization. We don't need organization. We just need love. Give us love. See? And the relator thinks the doer doesn't care about people, just tasks. See, the relator looks at the doer and it's like, it's like, God help me if I get between you and something you want to get done. 
because you would just steam through me to get what you thought needed to get done done. You could preach off a pile of dead bodies. It wouldn't matter to you. <laughs> See? That's what the relator thinks about the doer. Now, the analyzer. The analyzer thinks the prayer is lost in space. Okay, when the analyzer, it's like earth to bill, earth to bill. God gave us brains, let's use them. You know what I mean? It wasn't, he didn't just tell us pray about it. You know, I think sometimes we're supposed to think about it. That's why he put brains in our head. See? The analyzer thinks the relator is controlled by their feelings. See, the analyzer looks at the relator and says, you know, let's just do what's right. If you do what's right, that's all that matters, right? Let's do the, figure it out, do the right thing. People will get over it. See, that's the way the, the, um, uh, the analyzer thinks. Uh, and the analyzer thinks the doer is a wild man risk taker. See, the analyzer looks at the doer and it's like, do we have to jump off of every cliff that we come to? Can we look over the side and figure out what is there once in a while, you know? But no, the doer just is going for it, you know? And then, of course, finally we have the doer. The doer thinks the prayer is unbalanced, okay? When the doer looks at the prayer, it's like, pray, 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 pray. Do something! See? The doer thinks the relator is only concerned for their own comfort, not the mission. See, now, if the, if, the re, if the doer is in charge of the church, if the doer is in charge of the church, the church is a battleship. We keep the guns clean. We, keep, we, we are on a mission. We are going somewhere. We have something that we're supposed to be accomplishing. If the relator is in charge of the church, the church is a cruise ship. It's not really going anywhere. And the big question in the relator's mind is not what is the mission, it's is everybody happy? Right? Are you happy? Is everybody on the boat happy? Is everybody feeling good? Okay? As long as we're all happy and we're going someplace together, we're, we're doing okay. See, so that's what, that's what happens when the relator is in charge. So, so the, 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 the doer looks at the relator and is like, hey, don't you realize we're, we're here for a purpose? And, and then the doer thinks the analyzer is paralyzed. When the doer looks at the analyzer, it's like, you know something? I don't have to have everything figured out to do something. I don't understand electricity, but I can turn the lights on. Right? Let's just do something, right? We don't have to have it all figured out. Let's just do something. Go, go after it. Okay, in your notes, we'll keep going. Number two, to experience unity, we must believe that the Holy Spirit is the one in charge of our differences. This is what it says. It says, look at it now. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the effecting of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But look here at verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. 
The reason these people are different is because the Holy Spirit has made them different by the, the, the gifting and ministries and effects that he has put into their life. That's why they're different. They see life through their gift. They see life through what God has put in, inside of them. So, you know, what's important about this is, is this. If you're aggravated with people in church that are different, you can't blame them. You've got to blame God. God is the one who makes them different. Now, as a pastor, every once in a while, somebody will come to me and they'll say, uh, they'll say, Pastor, I'm leaving the church. You are? Why are you leaving? Pastor, I just, I just feel we need more love in the church. There's no love in this church. People don't love each other the way they're supposed to love each other. You know, there's no, and I heard this church down the block, they really love each other. So I'm going to go to the place where they love each other because there's no love here. Right? I always hate it when a lover tells me there's no love, you know. But so, so I understand what they're thinking. They're thinking, I want to go to a church where everybody is like me. Guess what? So do I. But God stuck me with you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I want to go to a church where everybody thinks like me and approaches life like me and has the same opinions that I do and views things through the same lens that I do. Wow, that sounds like really a good place to be. See? But that's not the church that the Lord has called us to. He has distributed to each one individually just as he wills. He's put it in us, and he's created us different. And so God is looking for us to come to this place where we recognize that these differences are not something to run away from, but they're something that God has put in the body. See, for us to have unity, we've got to remember that he's the one in charge of our differences. Okay, number three in your notes. To experience unity, we must believe that the Holy Spirit has put us together. Look what it says here. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. Now what he's saying is this. We talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now when we look at that biblically, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is when Jesus takes a person and immerses them in the Holy Spirit. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But we have the word spirit and baptism here. What is this talking about? It's talking about another kind of baptism that the Bible talks about. And it's the baptism into the body of Christ. When you come to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit takes you and makes you a part of his body. We were all baptized into one body. See? We were all baptized into one body. Which means that the Holy Spirit is very involved with where you go to church. See? Church, where you go to church is not a consumer decision. Do you understand what I mean when I say a consumer decision? This is a consumer decision. A consumer decision is, let's say I want to go buy a car. 
And so I, I, I take a piece of paper and I write down, down on the piece of paper all the things I'm looking for in a car. You know, it's got to have at least uh, uh, four seats and it's got to have, uh, you know, uh, air conditioning and it's got to have, and I list all the different things that I'm looking for in a car. Then across the top, I put all the different cars that are out that would meet those qualifications. And then as a consumer, what I try to do is get the car that has the most of what I want for the least amount of cost. You follow me? I try to get the most for the least. Most of what I want, because it's really all about me, I'm the consumer, for the least amount of money. But that is not at all the way God joins us to a church. God joins you to a church. It's a spiritual happening. It has to do with him. See, a lot of times we come to church with a viewpoint of, of um, well, you know, sometimes people, I see people come to church, it's like, okay, pastor, here I am. It's your job. Resurrect me. You know what I mean? I showed up. You know, we look at the worship leader and we're kind of critiquing what's going on in the worship, you know, you know, nice beat, but you can't sing to it, you know, you know what I mean, uh, you know, we're kind of doing like this evaluating thing going on, and, and we're just kind of sitting back there, and we feel like it's the, it's somehow the leadership's responsibility to give us a spiritual uh, encounter kind of a thing, you see, but that's not at all the way church is supposed to be, it's not really about us, you have been given gifts for the what, the common good, you know something? God may call you to a church for a season where you get nothing out of it, but you have everything to give to the other people that are in that place. Good. Because it's not about you getting something. It's about you having gifts for the common good. It's for everybody. It's gifts for everybody. Are you following me? It's not, a, it's not about you, see? And so you may come in and you may be thinking to yourself, well, this church is not meeting my needs. I have needs, you know. And the church is not meeting my needs, you know. And see, the Lord is looking down at you and go, you're not here for your needs. You're here because you have something to contribute to other people in this place. You follow me? Okay. See, Paul's trying to teach us about unity. He says unity is absolutely essential in the church. Sometimes when we don't understand this principle of God joining us to a church, we miss out on what God has for us. Just like in a, in, in a marriage. You know, when my wife and I both came from broken homes, as, and when we came to where we were considering getting married, been married for 34 years, but when we came to do that, we, we just said, look, no matter what happens, we are not leaving each other. We've, we've seen that, and we're not going down that road. So leaving each other is not possible. A lifetime of misery, yes, that's possible. Okay, that is, you know, a, a, a lifetime of misery is possible, but leaving each other is not possible. And so as a result of that commitment, we've had several seasons in our marriage that we came to that I'm sure if you were interviewing my wife, she would say, this really wasn't the best, you know, I didn't really like this, this that much. She may even have been wondering, why did I make that promise? You know, it, what, 
But because we pressed through, we've experienced what a lot of people never get to experience. That is, there's another side. There's there's something you can pass through, you can break through to another side. Where all at once, it's like I look at my wife today and I think, wow, I love this woman more than I ever have in in our whole marriage. You know, I'm not as sexy as I used to be. She's not as sexy as she used to be. But we've come, across, we've come into something that seems like it's transcended, all that stuff. It's, it's, it's th- well, you only ever get to that in a marriage if you press through, see, the difficult times to go to that next level. Well, see, it's the same way in the church. If I'm in the church and things are not blowing my way, and always, you remember, church, has, church life has seasons, and there will be seasons where your gift is lifted up, and then there will be seasons where your gift is not lifted up. And when your gift is, is not lifted up, you think to yourself, well, I, you know, I, I think I, I want to just, just, you know, leave the church, you know, kind of thing. And no, you've got to press through. Now, I'm not saying by that there's no valid reason ever to leave a church. I mean, just like in a marriage, if people are abusive and things are crazy, then, you know, you have to do what you have to do to protect yourself. But what I'm trying to say is that thing is a spiritual decision. We just don't move from one church to another church because our needs are not getting met. Right? That's not what drives that decision. We're not, this isn't a consumer thing. It's a spiritual thing. Okay, number four in your notes. To experience unity, we must accept our personal difference. Now, let me explain to you what I mean by that, because I, I don't think I said it very clearly. Let, 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 me, let me see if I can say it a little better. To experience unity, I have to stop rejecting who I am. See, a lot of times we think about you can't have unity if you reject the other person. But here Paul is telling us, you know what? You can't have unity in the church if you don't accept the gift that God gave you. See, like, uh, like me. My gift is doer analyzer, doer analyzer, and um, and and I was a pastor for twenty years, and you know when people want a pastor, they're thinking of a warm fuzzy person. You know they're thinking of oh pastor, you know they go up to pastor, oh I got a boo boo, pastor goes oh boo boo, I'm so sorry you got a boo boo, you know. Pastor, the goldfish died. Oh, no, really? Oh, that's a downer, you know. And they're looking for, where I'm more like a general. <laughs> right? And, and so I, I, would, I would come to the Lord and I would self-reject. I would say, Lord, why in the world did you make me the pastor of the church? Because people want somebody to go, you know, and I am not doing that. You know what I mean? I don't have the, I just don't have the temperament or the gift or anything else to be able to do that kind of thing. Now, you see it right here. Look here. First, first Corinthians, he says, he says, for the body is not one member but many. Now, look what he says now. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. So catch the picture now. The foot is looking at the hand, and the foot is going, whoa, hand, look at that. It's out in front of everybody. Wow, and it's got a thumb. It can pick things up. I love that. It's got jewelry. Look at the hand. 
I'm a foot. I live in a dark place. And sometimes it's damp. Sometimes it smells down here. I don't want to be a foot. I want to be a hand. See, the foot is self-rejecting. See, Paul's not sure you got it, so he repeats it again here. Look at, look at the next verse. He says, and if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. See, so here we have the ear, and the ear is looking at the eye and saying, wow, I want to be an eye. You know, people say things like, oh, I want to look into your eyes. Nobody ever says, oh, I want to look into your ears. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like I don't like, I want to be an eye. See, the, 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 it's self-rejection. See? And it's very easy for us to get into this. You know, like I said, I did it for years. Probably the first 10 years I was a pastor, I lived in constant self-rejection to my detriment and to the detriment of the church. I remember they used to joke about it in the staff because, you know, of my temperament and my gifting and everything. And, and, and because of my gifting, though I realized I was not a good boo-boo person, that, there, that I made sure I had people on my staff who really were good at, you know, you know I, had, I, I had people around me like that, you know, so that the church would be taken care of. I had one guy we hired, he was the, we called him, as a matter of fact, his, his title was the care pastor. Sometimes when people would introduce us, they'd say, here's Pastor Dick, he's the care pastor. Here's Pastor Mike, he's the I don't care pastor. Lord, help us. <laughs> you know, so we, we've got to get over this thing. You know, some, you may be sitting here and you may be an analyzer. And you may be thinking to yourself, I don't want to be an analyzer. I want to be a relator. They're like the fun people in the body of Christ. They're like the otters in the body of Christ, you know, <laughs> frolicking. You know, pastor, pastor comes up with, a, with a, a new vision and he stands up in front of the church and he, he t says what his vision is and the relators are like, yeah! We, let's do it, Pastor. That's awesome, you know. And the analyzer's sitting back going, uh, what about this? 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 And, 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 and you know, and you've been, when you've been through a few meetings, all what you will say to yourself, I don't want to be that person anymore. And we self-reject. You follow me? And Paul's saying, you know what? You cannot have unity in the church if you are rejecting who God has made you, because the church needs who God has made you. It says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. Now, as I told you, there are different seasons that people, that people have, and the seasons are, you know, it's, it's challenging. For example, you have, uh, you know, different seasons, different gifts are lifted up. Like in our church, we used to have one week a year that we used to call prayer week. And we, when we had prayer week, we would, um, we, we would all gather and we would have meetings twice a day. And we would just spend hours in prayer and seeking the Lord. And the prayers love that. The prayers were like, 
That is awesome. You know, but pastor, if we did this every week, there'd be no problems in the church. See? And then the, the relators, they could handle it too. They would say, pastor, is it okay if we like sit in a circle and we'll like, we'll like share our request first, you know, and be able to ask questions and things. And then we'll pray for each other and we'll lay on hands. Lots of hands will get laid on there, you know. Of course, the analyzer would come in and say, Pastor, prayer week, that's a good idea. I'd like to develop a, a strategic prayer map where we identify the demons over every community by name and can pull them down by name, you know, pray for them and pull them down by name and, 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 and do that. And then, and then, of course, the doer. You know, the doer is like, oh, good, prayer week. Prayer week. Pastor, I have a question for you. When is do something week? Could you tell me that? Because I think we need to do something around this church. Then you'll have another season, like, like for example, maybe the, the Lord is moving in the leadership's heart, and they're saying, boy, we feel like the Lord is really telling us to emphasize small groups. Sometimes prayers struggle with small groups. They do better in their closet sometimes than they do, you know. I remember one time I was in this group, and I was leading, and, this guy came into the group, and he, he kneels down, puts his face in the crack of the chair, and his butt up at everybody else in the room. And so we're sitting there for a few minutes talking. And then finally I said to him, I said, Bill, what are you doing? He said, Lord told me I'm supposed to pray before every meeting. Doesn't matter how big, doesn't matter how small, I'm supposed to pray before every meeting. And I said, well, Bill, we're talking now, and we would like to talk to the other end of you. Would you sit down for a moment? And, uh, you know, of course, the, the relators love small groups. You know, the relators are like, small group, this is awesome. Oh, pastor, let's do it at my house. Oh, it'll be great. We'll all sit there. And I've actually built a room on my house for this. And I've got benches all built around. And we'll all be there. And we'll have food. And we'll share. And we'll open up all of our secrets. There will be no secrets. We will just expose every part of our inner lives. Everyone will be so close, you know. You know, the analyzer is going, oh, you know, small groups, that's a good idea. I was thinking it would be good if we had job descriptions for everybody in the small group. You know, we've got the leader of the small group, and then we've got the host or hostess that's supporting them, and then we've got the prayer coordinator for the small group, and then we've got the, you know, and they're breaking out the job descriptions. And, you know, then there's the doer. The doer is like going, oh, this is good. <laughs> this is really good. The whole world is going to hell. And we are singing another round of kumbaya. You know, that's really what we need here is another dose of kumbaya. If I don't get one more chorus of that in, I don't know what I'll do, you know. Okay, last point. <laughs> to experience unity, I must love those who are different than I am. 
He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. He says, on the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Now, the thing I want you to see is he doesn't say the members of the body which are weaker are necessary. He says, the members of the body which to you seem to be weaker. He says, if you look at somebody and they seem to be weaker, let me underline this for you. They are necessary. They are necessary. And he says, and those members of the body which we, de we deem less honorable. It's not that they are less honorable. We deem less honorable. On those we bestow, bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the members which lack. This is the three-word definition of love we see in this passage. We honor one another. And then it says, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, that's team right there. It's talking about team. Those three ideas, honor, care, and team. That's what you experience when, the, when, there's, when there's unity flowing in the church. People are honoring each other. They're, they're supporting each other. It's, it's a very powerful thing. Now listen. There was only one perfectly balanced person who ever walked on the planet. And that was Jesus Christ. He was the only balanced person on the planet. All the rest of us are tweaked. All the rest of us are a little twisted. See? The only time the world ever sees unity again, or I should say it this way, the only time the world ever sees Christ again as he walked on the earth is when they see the church flowing in unity. See, there isn't, you, you'd say, well, our pastor, he's so great, he could get up and he'll really show Christ to the world. Your pastor can't show Christ to the world. He can only show one dimension of Christ to the world. The only time they ever see the fullness of Christ again is when we honor one another, we care for one another, we're on one another's team. That's what brings the unity. Okay, now let me ask you a question. Just join the person with a person right nearby you and share with them what you think you are. What do you think you are? Just, just you know, of these four things, and most people are two things. You know, they're like a doer analyzer or, you know, they're two things. What do you think you are? Okay, let me help you out here. I'll help you out. If you, if you asked them what they, what they were and they said to you, I need to pray about it, you know right away they're a prayer, okay? <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you asked them what they were and then you never had a chance to say what you were, they're a relator, okay? <laughs> so you, you know right away what... And if you asked them what, what uh, they were and they said to you, you know, I just don't know. I think I'm everything. They're an analyzer, Okay. <laughs> can't make a decision they just they just I think I'm everything see and if you asked them what they were and they looked at you and they said what does this really have to do with anything <laughs> they're a doer okay they're a doer 
in that way. L- let, me, let me just pray for you before pastor comes to close out our time together. Can we do that? Listen, you have to, you have to stop self-rejecting. And we're declaring right now today we're on the same team. Your difference is not going to be rejected in this place. We're going to honor and care for one another, and we're going to be team. One, one weeps, we all weep. One rejoices, we all rejoice. We're a team, okay? Lord, I just ask right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, such powerful people here in this room, so gifted, and I just ask that you would remove all self-rejection off of them right now in the name of Jesus, and that they would feel the affirmation of your spirit right now come over them, that you have placed them, you have called them to be who they are, and this church needs them to be who they are. We thank you for it, Lord, now. Strengthen every heart in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you thank Pastor Mike? Come on. It's good. I'm going to invite you to stand as we close. You know, in this series, we're taking it all the way up, up until Thanksgiving. We're taking a different word every week that spells radical for us as a church, as passionate followers of Jesus Christ. And so last week, we spelled it V-O-W, the radical vow that he asks us all to make. And so tonight, Pastor Mike came and talked to us about a radical unity. And so next week, we're going to talk about the radical view. The radical choice that Jesus asks every one of us to make, to look inside of ourselves and ask the big question, how does my life line up against the word of God that I read? Is my life a reflection of what I believe? Do I have a life-defining faith in Jesus Christ? It's a radical thing that he asks us to do, and we're hoping that you're going to be here for us. V-I-E-W, the radical view. Father, we thank you tonight for this time that we've had together Father, we thank you that tonight we know that there are people that walked in here and uh, they experienced your presence maybe for the very first time. And may it be that they would leave here tonight not saying that's something that I can check off of my list, but that they're going to say, I've been working off of the wrong list in life altogether completely. I want to pick up the list that Jesus has for me. And this is going to begin their journey, that they're going to find a sense of pace and cadence as a life as a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And for all of us tonight, for all of us tonight, we celebrate who we are, oh God. And let us put our gift to work in your church for your name's sake, in Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen. Hey, we saved our, we like to honor, we, we want to be a culture of honor. We just want to give shouts out to people all the time. And so we saved the best for last tonight that we wanted to say hi to Scott and Cindy White, who is Juice's parents, because we know as much as this was a celebration for him, that it's a celebration of who they are and what they imparted to that young man who now in turn is going to impart that to us. And so I hope at the end of the service that you won't just come And thank Pastor Mike for the word that he brought, but you'll thank them for giving Juice one of the greatest gifts that's ever been given to our church. And so in light of that, come on, we're all going to go. We're invading Plaza Azteca, the one at the corner of Victory and Route 17. The one, right? No? Sorry. Yeah, not Route 17. Somebody rewind that. We're going to Plaza Azteca, the one that's the corner of Jefferson and Victory. And so... What? Yeah, yeah, the one that burnt down that they rebuilt. You know which one it is. All right.